Our text for consideration this evening comes from Psalm 14. You can find it on page 575 of your pew Bible. Psalm 14. And the word of God says to the choir master of David, The fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is none who does good, not even one. Have they no knowledge, all evildoers, who eat up my peoples as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? There they are in great terror, for God is with the generation of the righteous You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion when the Lord restores the fortunes of his people. Let Jacob rejoice. Let Israel be glad. And this is the word of God. Let us go to the Lord once again in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for your word, Lord. I pray that you speak what you want us to hear tonight, Lord, that we may be encouraged. May you open our eyes, our ears, our hearts, and our minds, that we may live differently, Lord. We may live for you. And if anybody, again, here for any reason has not trusted in you, may they not leave here today until they put their faith in Christ. I pray everything in Jesus' name. Amen. Has anybody ever said to you, I don't have any parents? Have they said, my parents aren't real, they don't exist? Have they said, one day I didn't exist and then I just came into existence out of nowhere? No parents, no nothing. Poof, there was just me. Does this sound like a logical statement? How would you react to that kind of statement? Would you think that person is telling you the truth? Would you think that person is in their right mind? Or would you think this is a very foolish statement? Even if a person has never known their parents, they would know they came from somewhere. They just didn't appear out of nothing. But maybe in some cases a person might be so mad at their parents, they say, my parents are dead to me, I have no parents. That's a very serious charge. That is a very foolish thing to say. In our text today, we read of a psalmist, right of a fool. The foolish person doesn't say they have no parents. He doesn't desire his parents to be dead. It's much worse than that. The foolish person, the fool, says in their heart, there is no God. Who would make this kind of claim? Who would be so arrogant to state that there is no God? Who would be that evil to want God not to exist or even submit to the God they know exists? This evening, we will look at this text and see who this fool is. Who would be so bold, either openly or in their actions, to say in their heart there is no God? We will see who is the righteous of God as well, as this text speaks of the righteous of God. Who are the people of God? Who the fool seeks to destroy. 
And finally, how does a person stop being a fool to become righteous, to become a person of God? Ask yourself, as we go through this text, am I a fool? Do I say there is no God? Or am I a righteous one of God? Am I a person of God? So we have these three things, the fool, the righteous, and the transformation. So let's start with the fool. Verse 1, the fool says in his heart, there is no God. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. There are different ways people can be a fool and say there is no God. We will look briefly at the four common ones we come across in our world today. First, we have the atheist. Then we have the agnostic. Then we have those who worship false gods or other gods in other religions. And then we have you. But let's start with the atheist. Let's hear a couple quotes from atheists themselves. Richard Dawkins says, We are all atheists about most gods that humanity has ever believed in. Some of us just go one god further. Richard, who is Richard Dawkins? He is a British evolutionary biologist and author. He is an emeritus fellow at the college, New College in Oxford and was a professor for public understanding of science in the University of Oxford in 1995 to 2008. And this quote comes from his book, The God Delusion. Here he is saying that everybody that believes in one God is saying they're atheists to other God. He just goes one God further than that. That is a foolish statement. Another atheist, Christopher Hitchens, in his book, God is Not Great, How Religion Poisons Everything, he says, human decency is not derived from religion, it precedes religion. And if you know or don't know who Christopher Hitchens is, he was an English and American author and journalist, widely regarded as one of the most influential atheists of the 20th and 21st centuries, but he died a few years ago of cancer. And I pray that before he died, that he did give his life to the Lord. But in this quote, He's claiming that people are good first, and then religion comes. Yet how does he know what human decency is? How does he know what goodness is? What is his standard? Again, this is foolish. How can we be good if we're just making up the standard? Sam Harris, another atheist, says, While believing strongly without evidence is considered a mark of madness or stupidity in any other area of our lives, faith in God still holds immense prestige in our society. Religion is one area of our discourse where it is considered noble to pretend to be certain about things no human being could possibly be certain about. Who is Sam Harris? He is an American philosopher, neuroscientist, author, and podcast host. In this quote, quote, he is basically claiming that religion is blind faith. But that's not what Christianity is. We don't believe something just to believe it. We believe it because it is true. And one more from Richard Dawkins. He said, The universe we observe has precisely the properties we should expect if there is at bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. Richard Dawkins claims there's no purpose. We see no purpose at the core of the universe. No good, no evil, just blind, pitiless indifference. Nothing and no one outside of creation or spontaneous whatever that cares about us. But Richard Dawkins doesn't live like he believes what he says. 
If you were to go to steal his car, he's going to care. He's not going to believe, oh, this is just indifference. Nothing matters. No good or evil. He's going to say, don't steal my car. If you go and punch Richard Dawkins in the face, he's going to care. You're not just some non-created thing hitting another non-created thing. He's going to care. He's going to say, do not hit me in the face because he is inconsistent with what he claims. But has anybody made a similar claim to you? They tell you they're an atheist and no, no God exists. And then, of course, you answer them this way. You're a fool. No, hopefully you don't answer them that way. Even though the Bible says they are a fool, if they claim that, but they're not foolish in the sense that they're not intelligent. All these atheists that I told you about were college professors, have written books. They are very smart, yet they are fools. Some claim that religion is bad. But how can a product of random chance know what is good and what is bad? What is their standard? What is their standard to what is morally right and wrong? Their claim is foolish. The fool says in his heart there is no God. This is not a judgment of their intelligence. It is a moral judgment. While, while I have pointed out it is foolish to say there is no God, the reason the person makes this claim is because they suppress the truth about God. They hold down that truth about God, even though they image God every day. They're made in his image. They can't escape it. But they're holding it down as if they're holding down a, a, a beach ball under the water. It keeps popping up. They suppress the truth, so they are foolish. When Jesus was asked by the rich young ruler what he must do to inherit eternal life, he said to him, Good teacher, what must I do? And Jesus said, Why do you call me good? There is no one good but God. So the atheist claims there is no good or bad, but they say there must be a standard because they live by a standard. But who sets that standard? There is no one good. But God, the atheist worldview is foolish. How about the agnostic? They claim that there's no way anybody can really know if God exists. On the surface, they might seem like a safe claim for them. No one can know that God exists, so therefore, if there is no God, I'm good. If there is a God, I'm okay too, because I never fully committed either way. I didn't say there wasn't. I didn't say there was. No one can really know. But if that's true, if they're not sure who God is, they should be worshiping at every religion they can because they don't know. Or they claim they can't know, but there might be. So they need to play it safe and worship wherever they can. But that's not really what they're saying. They're saying no one can know, so I'm not going to worship at all. But that claim is foolish too because to claim that no one can know something, you are now claiming that you know what everybody knows. Make sense? Yes. So their, their claim is actually of all knowledge. They're making themselves out to be God, to know what everybody else knows. This, too, is foolish. What about worshipers of other gods? Everyone worships. The atheist worships, the agnostic worships, and everyone who is created is created to worship but it's a matter of them worshiping the wrong God. What about those who are Jews, Muslims, Hindus, Buddhists, any other religion? They are still saying in their heart, there is no God because they are not worshiping the right God because they are suppressing that truth and unrighteousness. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans 1, starting in verse 18. 
He explains this view. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world, and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man, and birds, and animals, and creeping things. In Paul's day, there weren't many going around saying, no God at all exists. The problem was they were worshiping false gods. They were worshiping gods in their own image. So in doing this, they're claiming in their hearts there is no God, the true God. They are deceived. The Muslim, the Mormon, the Buddhist, the Hindu, all worship false gods. They worship idols. They are creations of man. By this false worship, again, they're saying in their hearts, there is no God. When the psalmist wrote this psalm, he was surrounded by pagan nations. They were denying the true God. They came against the people of God. But nothing much has changed. The atheist, the agnostic, and everyone who worships God other than the triune God of Scripture is saying in their heart, there is no God. But what about you? Are you a fool? Christian, do you say, even as a Christian, in your heart, there is no God? How can that be? How can us as Christians say in our heart, there is no God? We believe the triune God. We say it in our creeds. We believe, as Presbyterians here, the Westminster Confession. We believe every word of the Bible, every word that comes from the mouth of God. When do I say in my heart, there is no God? Every time we sin, every time we sin, we say there is no God. The want of conformity unto or transgression of the law of God. Every time we go back to our old ways, every time we don't follow the commandments of God, we say in our heart, there is no God. But if you're here today and you have not believed, it's pretty obvious that you say there's no God. Christians, we struggle with our sin. We still try to mortify our sin. But we've yet to kill it. And every time we fall, it is rejection of the God we know exists. But yes, let me remind you of this. You are forgiven in Christ. You are forgiven in Christ. He has cleansed you from all unrighteousness. All. But the moment we sin, the moment we still find pleasure in that sin, is as if we're making the claims of the atheist, the agnostic, the worshipers of other gods, the idolaters. There is no God. I will do this anyway. The psalmist continues on. They are corrupt. They do abominable deeds. There is none who does good. The Lord looks down from heaven on the children of man to see if there are any who understand, who seek after God. They have all turned aside. Together they have become corrupt. There is no one who does good. No, not one. As Christians, I hope you realize when left to yourself, you are not good. The text says there are none who do good. None at all. Maybe you've said in the past, Or you believe this, that I'm a good person. Usually that's when we're comparing ourselves to others. I'm a good person compared to Hitler. Just name it. We do that game, that comparison game. 
but we're not good. The evangelist Ray Comfort from Living Waters Ministry, he does open-air preaching, and he also has on-the-street conversations with strangers. He just goes up and he shares the gospel with them. But he gives them this test because people normally say, I'm a good person. So he does what, what he calls the good person test. He takes him through the Ten Commandments. He says, have you ever stolen anything, no matter the value of it? So you can take this test along with me. Have you ever stolen anything, no matter the value of it? Have you ever used God's name as a curse word? Have you ever looked on a person with lust? Jesus says if you look on a person with lust, you've committed adultery in your heart. Have you ever had hatred towards somebody? Jesus says if you've ever hated somebody in your heart, you've committed murder. So honestly, nobody would pass this test. We have all violated God's law. There are none who do good. As we read earlier in, this, in the service, Paul quotes this in Romans 3. He does this to show that both the Jew and the non-Jew, everyone is under the wrath of God. No one does good. They are both fools. Their condemnation is just. Our condemnation is just. Verse 23 of Romans 3 says... All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We have fallen short of the glory of God. We have all sinned. By your own honest admission, probably as I took you through that good person test, you've stolen something, no matter the value. Maybe it was even somebody else's time. You've all lied in some way, I'm sure. Even if it's a little lie, it's still a lie. Looking at somebody with lust, anger in your heart. We've violated pretty much all Ten Commandments. We have been fools. We have said in our hearts there is no God. But Christian, I won't leave you there. Because that's a place we don't want to stay. And praise God, we don't have to stay there. There's good news. Those who have believed on Jesus Christ have been forgiven of all their sins. Because Jesus Christ took our sins on the cross for us. He paid the penalty for our sin. The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of eternal life is in Christ Jesus. But if you haven't believed, that condemnation is still on you, and it is a just condemnation. Psalm 14 goes on to say in verse 4, Have they no knowledge, evildoers, who eat up my people as they eat bread and do not call upon the Lord? These fools, these unbelievers, these enemies of God, or also enemies of God's people. They do wicked things against them. In the days of the psalmist, many pagan nations surrounded the people of God. The pagan nations would attack the people of God. They would do abominable things around the people of God. And we see this in our time as well. There were evil people that surround the people of God. We live in a culture of death. Many, even those who claim to be Christians, will say... If you want to, and it's more convenient for you, go ahead and kill your baby in the womb. Even though Roe versus Wade was overturned, there are still states that say it's okay to kill your baby in the womb. This very state that we live in says it's okay to kill the baby in the womb. If we stand against that as Christians, we are looked upon as evil. They call us evil. They say we are wrong. They want to eat up God's people. Stand up for marriage and biblical creation as man and woman are created, male and female, and we are looked upon as evil. Evil doers eat up the people of God like bread and love to do so. They know what they support is evil, 
They have a knowledge of what is good, yet they reject it. They know the one who is good, and they reject him. They refuse to repent and call upon God in Christ. They reject the God who made them. They try to devour his people. They love the darkness rather than the light. And some in this life even seem to get away with their evil deeds. But there will be justice for God's people. 1 Corinthians 6, starting in verse 9. Or do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither the sexually immoral, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor men who practice homosexuality, nor thieves, nor the greedy, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. This is a list of many sins, and it is not an exhaustive list. This list includes sins from sexual sins to simple greed. Those who practice these things, who continue to practice these things, who rebel against God, the God they know exists, by doing so, they're saying there is no God. These people will not inherit the kingdom of God. Justice will be served. But still, remember this. This is a reminder. Some of the sins that that they have committed, you also have committed. And those who continue in this way still seek to devour the people of God. But what does the next verse say in Psalm 14? Psalm 14, verse 5. There, they are in great terror. The enemies of God, even though they enjoy their sin, they are still in fear. Even though they try to devour God's people, they are still in terror. They wake up in the middle of the night. They can't sleep because of their sin. They toss in their beds because of their sin. Their conscience is tormented if it hasn't already been seared and calloused yet. They fear a great fear. Who will deliver them? And they have a terror, a fear of God and a fear of God's people. Have you ever seen a wild animal when they're cornered? What do they do? They attack. This is why you try to keep little children away from dogs. Because a dog, when it's cornered, it will attack. That's the same with the evildoer. When the light of the gospel and righteousness is shined, they attack. When God's people are around, when holiness is preached, this is when they are in great terror. The fool, saying in his heart there is no God, goes against the God he knows exists and tries to destroy the people of God. But is there hope for God's people? What does the rest of this verse say? For God is with the generation of the righteous. You would shame the plans of the poor, but the Lord is his refuge. Here the poor is referenced. Who are the poor? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Where do they turn in times of trouble? The Lord is their refuge. But wait a minute. The psalmist begins the psalm by saying, no one is good. No one is righteous. So who are the generation of the righteous? Who are the people of God? And this is our second point, the righteous. Who are the righteous? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And this list in 1 Corinthians 6 that I read before condemns just about all of us and says that those people who commit those sins will never inherit the kingdom of God. So where is the hope? Where is the hope? Thankfully, Paul did not end 1 Corinthians 6 at that verse. He goes on and says, And such were some of you, but you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And by the Spirit of God. A familiar story is the one of the rebel. The one who grows up in a good home and rebels against his parents. 
We can think of the prodigal son story. Jesus tells this story of a, of a dad who took care of his sons, but one of the sons wanted his inheritance. He said to him, Father, give me my inheritance. Give me what's coming to me. It's as if he's saying, I wish you were dead so I can have all the money now. He's saying in his heart, I have no dad. And he takes that money and squanders it. And then he comes to his right mind. He remembers he does, does have a generous father who even takes care of the servants in his household. And he'll come back as a servant. And he comes back, and as he's coming back, his father sees him. Not when he's right next to the house, not when he's at the door. When he's still a long way off. And his father runs to him and embraces him, falls on his neck. And he says, clothe him with my clothing. Get a robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. Kill the fatted calf because we're going to celebrate tonight because this son has returned. He was lost and dead and he has come back. The son was a fool to leave his father. But he's now back. He was washed, sanctified, glorified. He was not left to be devoured by the citizens of the foreign land. He is alive. And such were some of you. But now you've been washed. You've been cleansed. You've been sanctified. God is making his people holy. These are the righteous of God. Maybe you don't have a testimony of a time you rebelled, but maybe you were a huge fool. Maybe you even said out loud, as an atheist, there is no God. Maybe you didn't want to hear the gospel or have anybody talk to you about Jesus. Maybe you even tried in some way to eat up God's people, to stop them from spreading the truth of Christ. So how does this happen? How does a fool become righteous? How does a fool become a person of God? The transformation But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the power, by the spirit of our God. This is the only way a person can be righteous. You can't be righteous on your own. If none are good, no one does good, no one seeks after God, then we need divine intervention. You must be taken from being a fool and made a righteous person of God. You must be born again. You must be born from above. The Spirit of God must do a work of regeneration in your heart to open your eyes to your sin and your need for a Savior. Your heart must be changed from saying, there is no God, to, oh Lord my God, forgive me. I've sinned against you and only you. I have no righteousness of my own. I need a Savior. This is the problem with those who are atheists, agnostics, and people who worship false gods. It's not that they aren't intelligent. They are very intelligent. They are geniuses. Yet they are fools. They know God exists, yet say he doesn't. They suppress the truth, as Romans 1 says, in unrighteousness, in the rebellion. They love their sin and not the Savior. But always remember this, such were some of you. Such was I. Keep that in mind. Stay humble. We must think about the saying of Mr. T. Remember Mr. T? He said on the show, The 18, I pity the fool. (laughs) But we must do more than just pity the fool. We must love the fool. We must have compassion on the fool because we were the fool. We must be like Christ and love those who devour, who seek to devour his people. And the psalmist ends here, verse 7. Oh, that salvation for Israel would come out of Zion. When the Lord restores the fortunes of his people, let Jacob rejoice, let Israel be glad. 
in the psalmist's day, the Jews were waiting for a deliverer. One who would bring them peace. A deliverer who would take them out of bondage. He would come from Zion. A place where they would pray. A place where the Ark of the Covenant was. Brothers and sisters, we know this. Salvation has come. It has come to Israel. Not only for Israel, but for the Gentiles too. To all who believe. As Paul said, wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Out of Zion, Jesus comes. He came and he was truly the righteous one of God. He lived a perfect life, was crucified on the cross, suffering hell for fools. He took the place of a fool on the cross. And this may look foolish. When we preach this message, it seems foolish, but it is true. Jesus took the place of sinners. He took your place if you have believed. And we can still pray this psalm in verse 7 with this in mind that Jesus is coming back. Jesus is going to return. He's going to come back and judge the living and the dead. He will come and everything will be restored fully. There will be a new heavens and a new earth. There will be no more fools, no more foolish ways. When he comes again, it is not to give those who remain foolish one more chance. He's bringing judgment. The verdict is guilty. The sentence is eternal damnation in the lake of fire. I say this not to scare you if you haven't believed, but you should be scared of that. But to offer salvation. Salvation has come from Zion. Salvation is here. Salvation is only in Christ. Stop being a fool. God sent his son into the world to save fools, to save sinners, to die for sinners as if he was a sinner, as if he was a fool. Christian, you were once a fool, and now you've made, you've made a righteous person of God. Not by your own righteousness, but by his righteousness. Credited it to you. You are justified. Not as if you didn't sin. That is true. But as if you've only obeyed. That is his righteousness imputed to you. As if you never were a fool. That is what God has done for you. The fool says in his heart, there is no God. No one does good. But God can take a fool and his foolish heart and give him new life, eternal life. I was a fool to be pitied. Yet here I stand. I can do no other. I stand in the blood of the crucified Savior. Again, this may sound foolish, but it is true. What we believe is true. The Bible says it is true. God is true. Let God be true and every man a liar. Don't be a fool. If you are an unbeliever, turn from your sin. Believe in Christ. Christian, don't be a fool. Kill the sin that remains in you. Do whatever you can to kill it. You are forgiven. Remember that. Rest in Christ. But still, because of what he's done out of gratitude, let's kill the sin. Let's not be fools. Let's only be fools for Christ in preaching him. Salvation has come. Listen to this. Romans 3.23. Listen to this one more time. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But Paul goes on. And we and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness, because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Don't be a fool. May the blood of Christ continue to cover you. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, thank you 
so much, Lord, that you would save fools. You would save those who claim in their words and their actions that there is no God. I don't want there to be the God of the Bible. Even though you're the only God, you're the only God, and you are a God who is merciful, you've extended salvation to all who believe, to all who do not deserve, to all who rejected you, yet you've did a work in our heart through the Holy Spirit so that we may be believing into Jesus Christ who died for our sins. May we continue to believe that. But also, may we love the fools. May we go and preach your word to all creation, to the atheists, the agnostic, the worshipers of other God. And may we continue to preach the gospel even to ourselves so that we may remember who you are, what you've done for us, and we may live unto you. I pray everything in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Let us stand one more time and sing a hymn of praise. Hymn 188, There is a fountain filled with blood. Hymn 188, There is a fountain filled with blood.